If quality of life is less than expected, is that a reason to end a life? Whose place, whose choice, whose decision is it to make that choice to end a life? You're listening to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin, and their great support of Faith and Family. Find them in the sponsor section at kfuo.org. Joining me today for our conversation, the Reverend Michael Selamink, Executive Director, Lutherans for Life. Pastor Selamink, welcome back to Faith and Family. Good morning, and it's great to be here. You are uh, spending some time at the LCMS. Uh, what, uh, what, what convocation are you at today? Black Family Ministry Convocation. So uh, it's a very joyful, enthusiastic gathering where uh, Lutherans for Life is offering our services and resources to the community that's gathered here. Um, was told that there are upwards of 400 registrants. Well, thanks for phoning in today and uh, taking some time uh, away from your duties there to share with us today. Uh, an important issue in the news today and uh, this week is Charlie Gard. And if you haven't heard much about Charlie Gard, this is a story that 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 really started to pick up probably earlier this spring, around April and May, when, uh, when his family faced uh, a court date uh, when this went mm. to the, what the higher court in the UK. He's a he's in a hospital mm. in London. Who is Charlie Gard? Well, he's a what an eleven month old baby born to his parents in the UK with a rare genetic disorder that some physicians have categorized as a terminal illness. So he's on presently on life support, and the doctors at the the hospital where he's staying, Great Ormond Street Hospital in London are seeking to remove the life support and let him, quote, die with dignity. And this was uh, the matter that, that, that was brought to the high court, and the, the high court supported the hospital's request to remove life support. I believe that was in, in May. And so his parents mm-hmm. have appealed with no uh, uh, official success. Uh, yesterday, a judge heard Charlie's parents plead to release their child and permit him to receive treatment from a U.S. physician, uh, a very um, rare condition and thus requiring very rare treatment. Uh, nucleoside treatment? Did I get that right? That's to my knowledge. You <laughs> pronounced it pretty good. So this is a this is one a a rather unique story, a rather unique situation. Uh, a, a, but it's not uncommon for babies to be born with a genetic disorder that that changes or or uh, their the their expected quality of life. Hmm. Um, actually, has has uh, cases like Charlie's have happened several times over the past decades in the United States. Um, this case with Charlie is precedent setting because uh, the court has ruled essentially that the hospital uh, has custody of Charlie. So, what's really offensive about this situation? Um, is that Charlie's mom and dad are not only not permitted to uh, seek treatment uh, for Charlie's condition, but they're not even permitted to remove him from the hospital and and take him home. Um, I think in the United States we would understand a situation like that if courts had found that uh, Charlie's parents or caretakers or guardians had proved to be incompetent or perhaps abusive to him, but that's not the case Charlie's parents are of sound mind and and acting out of what they believe are his best interests, um, and the, the court is is 
absolutely ignoring that. And so I think that's what uh, offends the sensibilities uh, and the ethics of people in the United States. But situations like this have happened. Um, a, a recent case that comes to memory is uh, Simon Crozier, who was a baby born in the Midwest a few years back with a condition called trisomy 18, which is an extra chromosome, the 18th chromosome, much like uh, Down syndrome is an extra 21st chromosome. Uh, trisomy 18 is generally more serious than Down syndrome and most times results in a, a short life expectancy for those children. Um, so Simon was in the hospital, had just been born, just been diagnosed, and unbeknownst to his parents, the doctor wrote a DNR, which is a do not resuscitate order, um, again, without the knowledge of his parents. Uh, and so the parents only discovered this when um, they found that uh, the nurses were only providing what's known as comfort feedings for Charlie. So or not Charlie, but Simon, comfort feedings. And so um, only when he was crying or fussing would they provide nutrition. And, and uh, Simon's parents were uh, put off by that when they investigated, had found that the doctor had written a do not resuscitate order, and the nurses essentially were going to uh, let Charlie pass away um, without any intervention. Uh, that resulted in um, new legislation that has just been ratified in Kansas called Char uh, Simon's Law, um, and so there are situations where things like that have happened in the United States, um, but, but this is um, precedent-setting because uh, all decision-making ability has been taken out of the hands of Charlie's parents, and custody essentially has been given to the hospital against the wishes of Charlie's parents. And, and there seems to be disagreement as to the, the, the potential for improvement for Charlie as well. The the hospital seems to indicate that, that there's no chance of improvement, just let him die with dignity. A U.S. physician who's been following the story and and has offered to uh, to provide treatment for Charlie with the, the possibility of a, a, a 10% chance of improvement. That's the best estimates of uh, five experts on Charlie's condition uh, in the world. Um, looking at that situation, 10% is, is not a, uh, those aren't great odds. Um, but the crux of this, of Charlie's situation really turns on, um, quality of life. And so the, the courts have found that, um, according to the testimony of medical experts, Charlie has suffered brain damage. He's not able to move. Uh, limbs or breathe on his own without the aid of a respirator. He's not able to swallow. Um, Charlie's parents don't believe that he is suffering. Uh, some doctors are of the opinion that he is in um, some distress. The courts have officially uh, found it inconclusive as to whether or not Charlie is suffering. But um, the decision to uh, deny the parents' request that Charlie be released or discharged from the hospital so that they can seek care, which they have self-funded. Uh, so they're not asking for the hospital to pay for care. Um, that decision turns on the courts finding that it's, quote, not in Charlie's best interests. Um, so they have found that they don't believe the percentage of um, possibility that uh, the treatment will provide relief or even extend Charlie's life is good enough to warrant um, allowing him to continue living. Uh, again, we find that offensive because in the United States, 
we believe that government functions best when it supports and respects the parental and familial relationships rather than undermining them as, as we see the court system doing um, in the United Kingdom. And that, that finding has been upheld by the European Court of Human Rights. Um, and so really it's, it's for us uh, who are Christians, uh, it causes us to examine the whole question of what, uh, what quality of life justifies um, seeking experimental treatments, which may uh, actually increase the short-term um, suffering of the patient. This, right, why is, why is quality of life a reason to, to end a life or to end care for a life? Why, you know, why is that even a, 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 a choice in this? Uh, why is quality of life a factor in determining whether or not one continues to receive care? Well, in medical situations, um, life or death situations, obviously there's a lot of emotion involved. And a quality of life approach really seeks to remove emotion as much as possible and make decisions based on an objective uh, comparison of priorities. Um, the problem is that, that quality of life discussions attempt to assign an objective value to what really is uh, subjective judgment. Um, who's to say what a person's quality of life is? Who is the best evaluator of Charlie Gard's quality of life? Is it medical professionals? Is it his parents? Um, who's best suited to decide what his best interests are? In the case of um, medical situations where the patient might be old enough to advocate for herself, older than Charlie, for example, um, who's the best evaluator? What factors should be taken into account? For Christians, um, a quality of life discussion is, is not a simple one. Uh, because of our belief that suffering does not necessarily reduce a person's quality of life. Uh, for Christians who are um, encouraged by the gift of grace in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, we believe that our Lord's presence with his people in suffering redeems even the worst situations and gives them purpose that we might not be able to objectively detect. We walk by faith and not by sight. Um, so that means that for Christians, there really is no situation which is absolutely hopeless. Um, there is no situation that is irredeemable. Um, for us, that would include Charlie's situation. Now, there is a discussion to be had when a patient has a terminal diagnosis. Uh, we should note, first of all, that a terminal diagnosis is different from a terminal illness. Um, we can't determine that an illness is terminal with absolute certainty until death occurs. Up until that point, a terminal illness uh, is a best guess. It's an, an educated estimate. Um, so, uh, Really, there's no such thing as a terminal illness. What we, 
what we have is a terminal diagnosis, so uh, a doctor's assessment of the situation, and their expertise is to be factored in um, as having great weight to, to considering things. But um, for Christians, because we look forward to um, immortality, to the, the continued existence after the resurrection of the body into life everlasting, um, we are not bound by any moral obligation to extend biological life as long as possible by any means available. That means that uh, when a person receives a, a terminal diagnosis, that if there is an experimental treatment available or an improbable uh, remedy, that that person is not duty-bound uh, to undergo that treatment, um, especially if that treatment has a high probability of increasing suffering or um, causing other complications. On the other hand, uh, Christians are, because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the one who gives life as a gift, and uh, because of that, he is the one who establishes the times of our living and our dying. Um, Christians are not to seek death uh, outside of God's will or before his time. And so um, the, the medical arts, the healing arts, are, are one of the gifts that God has given to us uh, because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which he can preserve our lives, provide us with daily bread, um, as we hear from the first article of the Creed, uh, that's a way that, that uh, God shows his love to us, and we need to take advantage of those as long as they are available. So the Christian sometimes lives in a gray area between those, uh, those two boundaries, um, and in that case makes decisions based on sanctified reason, the input of uh, pastors, and consultation with loved ones. You know, reading the, the report from The Telegraph in the UK, uh, a neurologist... Uh, an unnamed neurologist, told the court that a new analysis of a study of nine children with a disease similar to Charlie's, uh, not nearly as severe, showed five of them to improve. So about a 56% success rate um, after they received experimental treatment. Now, now this is just one example, and we we have the other physician who who's offered uh, treatment that with a, a you know, suggesting a 10% chance of improvement. Still, these are, are two possibilities, two examples of, of possible improvement, yet the the court has, so far, we're, we're waiting for the, uh, the results today, um, has, has said, no, you can't take your child home, or you can't take your child uh, away from the hospital to receive treatment elsewhere. But yet there is a possibility of improvement with experimental treatment. The, the difficulty, I think, for, um, for us in the United States to understand is that the, not only are the health care industries or systems um, substantially different in the United States and the United Kingdom or, or really much of Western Europe, um, but the legal system is substantially different as well. The, the rights and freedoms that we enjoy in the United States established by the Constitution, protected by the Bill of Rights and upheld by uh, centuries of legislation and jurisprudence, um, those are not common uh, around the world. In the, in the United Kingdom, um, because the healthcare system is socialized or single-payer, there are different concerns that come into play. Uh, in the United States, uh, healthcare is market-driven. It's capitalistic. 
Uh, it's individualistic, which means that uh, as long as you have the available means and there is a willing provider, you can essentially seek any kind of treatment um, that you wish, so long as it's uh, not forbidden by law as causing harm uh, to somebody else. In the United Kingdom, that's not the case uh, because the healthcare system is socialized because of the single payer. It has to take into account um, apportioning uh, limited resources across an entire population. And so what's being considered is not simply um, what the aggrieved parties are requesting or what their interests are, but the interests of the entire population. Um, and so the, the judge uh, in this case, in Charlie's case, has even explicitly stated that in the United Kingdom, um, they're not accustomed to seeking uh, treatments that are not uh, backed up by more substantial data. Um, so the treatment that's uh, being sought by Charlie's parents uh, that's been pioneered in the United States is one that has not undergone any um, regulated clinical trials, even in non-human organisms. So this really is untested waters. Um, the courts in the United Kingdom, I think, fear that uh, because they are assuming that Charlie is suffering, that the experimental treatments... Uh, even if um, even if they didn't cause or increase his suffering, they would at least uh, result in the prolonging of his life by extending the life support that he's receiving. Uh, and and the courts don't appear to be interested in that. They've reached the conclusion that um, an acceptable answer to human suffering is to hasten death. For us as Christians, um, we believe that the answer to human suffering is not death, but love. It's, it's compassion. Sometimes that compassion takes the form of medical care. Sometimes it takes the form of palliative care or comfort care, um, just providing life support and companionship for Charlie until the Lord sees fit to call him home. And so all of those, those issues are kind of mixed together in this nexus in a case that I think for, uh, for American observers is crossing uh, crossing the lines of faith, crossing the lines of political affiliation, um, and it's really difficult for us to understand. It does also underscore um, some of the different concerns that come into play, concerns that we are not as familiar with when we talk about um, socializing health care. Uh, Certainly, there there's a case to be made that there are some benefits to that, but but we also have to be wary of the drawbacks and weigh all of those things together. Why has Charlie's story gained global attention? Why has this been significant and and made global news? Uh, first of all, it's precedent setting, as I mentioned before. Um, it, it really is is different in that uh, it it highlights, I think, the fears of all parents. Um, that their the responsibility for their children's well-being and formation is slowly being eroded uh, and taken out of their hands. Secondly, uh, Charlie Gard is, is little and vulnerable. Um, thirdly, I think Charlie Gard represents all of us. Any of us could be in a situation where we find ourselves 
medically helpless, um, perhaps incapacitated or unresponsive and unable to advocate for ourselves. Um, fourthly, social media certainly has played a major role in this. Um, Charlie's parents secured funding for this experimental treatment, upwards of a million dollars through crowdfunding, which is um, in sort of an internet-based social media strategy to uh, raising money from complete strangers who are sympathetic to their situation, um, as well as uh, they maintain a regular Facebook and Twitter presence. Um, and I think so in that sense, it's, it's benefited from kind of this new age of communication and connectivity. And for all of those reasons, I think people are really resonating with this situation, in addition to the fact that it's genuinely important. We're talking about the life of a human being, a person who has been given to the human community as a gift from God, somebody in whom we see uh, a brother in Christ, in, in fact, the face of our Lord Jesus Christ, who uh, in his incarnation became an 11-month-old child who was helpless in the arms of his mother. Who has shown mercy for Charlie and for his family? Who has offered support? Uh, first of all, Charlie's parents, Chris and Connie, have been uh, saints, uh, even even martyrs for his cause, um, who have not given up, who have shown a great deal of courage, compassion, and dedication, and have done everything uh, that parents are encouraged to do and privileged to do by virtue of the vocation they've been given by God. Um, secondly, the, the for-life community, especially in the United States, has really advocated not only for Charlie, but also for his parents. Um, thirdly, the medical community in the United States who has offered to, uh, to provide this care. Um, even though the, the Great Ormond Street Hospital in London has, uh, has proven unwilling to engage um, in any remedial care for Charlie. The Columbia University Medical Center in New York City, um, a very prestigious uh, hospital, has offered uh, to provide care for Charlie. A uh, hospital at the Vatican in Rome has offered to provide care for Charlie. Um, there are even uh, congresspersons in the United States who have explored the idea of granting Charlie and his parents permanent citizenship uh, to overcome any legal obstacles that there might be in transferring his care to the United States, um, as well as um, uh, Bobby Schindler, who is the brother of Terry Schiavo, uh, was a very high-profile um, quality-of-life and feudal care case uh, back in the early 2000s in Florida. Um, he has an organization that uh, has has partnered with um, Charlie's uh, parents, Chris and Connie, and, and Bobby's actually in London now, providing some uh, compassion and solidarity and support to his parents. Um, so really, folks have, have rallied around, in addition to um, a number of citizens of the United Kingdom who are outraged at uh, the situation that really should not be so. This concept of death with dignity may seem appealing to some, with just about uh, just about a minute and a half left. What's the what's the concern with this concept of death with dignity? Is it really dignified? Well, we need to understand that the word dignity is kind of a squishy word, which means it's subject to personal interpretation. Who decides what a dignified death is? In one sense, there is no such thing as a dignified death. Death is a crime against life. Uh, it is 
uh, a work of sin and Satan, and is something that is opposed to God's plan and God's gift. And for that reason, it's always ugly, because it wars against uh, the will of God that we might have life and have it to the full. On the other hand, um, the death of every Christian, of every believer who relies in faith upon the promises and the power of God, is dignified. Death is dignified by the fact that Christ himself positions himself beside us. He has incarnated himself in our death, dying upon the cross, suffering beside of us, and then rising from the dead after having sanctified and inhabited uh, the tomb. And so it is because of our, our faith that the death of every Christian, every believer, every baptized child of God becomes dignified by the presence of Christ, and then dignified also by the purpose uh, that God gives it, using something awful like death to bring good things about for a multitude of people. Um, That includes the body of Christ, who surrounds the suffering person, because if one member suffers, all suffer together. And there is a great deal of compassion and beauty that comes out of the relationships that are forged uh, and the service and the mercy uh, that is offered in those times. So for us as Christians, um, every death is both undignified and dignified at the same time by the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ and the hope of resurrection to eternal life. Our prayers ascend for Charlie Gard and his family. My guest today, the Reverend Michael Salamink, Executive Director of Lutherans for Life. Thanks so much for being my guest today, Pastor Salamink. Thank you again for the invitation and for having me on the program, Andy. Coming up in just a little bit, we'll meet Deaconess Kim Biltman as she prepares to serve the Lord in Europe. You're listening to Faith and Family on Worldwide KFUO. Concordia University, Wisconsin and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu.